over in the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles, in chapter 7 and verse 14. God said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We are in the early years of the 21st century experiencing some turbulent times in America. There is racial unrest in this country like we haven't seen in over 50 years. There are people who are rushing around to psychologists and psychiatrists and hypnotic drugs and insurgency and revolt. There are people who are needlessly taking the lives of innocent people, it seems like, on a weekly basis. There are portions of our world where Christians are suffering physical persecution like has not been seen since the first century. And in our own country, Christians are suffering persecution in ways that has never been known. in a place that has always been described as the land of the free, the home of the brave, and a nation founded on Judeo-Christian principles. A nation where that in the Continental Congress, Benjamin Franklin stood up one day, and he said they were having all kinds of problems. It was hot in Philadelphia that summer. They were having all kinds of problems and they were having all kinds of various issues. And he said, if a sparrow cannot fall to earth without the notice of God, is it possible a nation can rise without his aid? And Franklin then proposed that all of their deliberations from that point forward be started with prayer. A suggestion like that today would cause the Freedom From Religion Foundation to literally lose their minds. And long ago it said, if my people. God was talking then specifically about His people as a nation. He was talking about Israel. But Israel is not God's people today. God's people have a new name. God's people today wear the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 11, it tells us that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And that's the name of God's people. 
Beloved, the hour is late for our nation. And it is time for people who wear the name Christian to stand up and be counted. It is time for those of us who call ourselves Christians and those of us who wear the name Christian to say to the rest of the world at large, Thou shalt not pass. It's time for us to proclaim loudly to the world that our Supreme Court is God. That our Supreme Court and our Supreme Rule is in this book. And it's not nine people wearing black robes that assemble in Washington, D.C. and think they're going to tell me what I must preach, what I must teach, and what I must believe, and how I must live my life. I am a child of God. I'm a Christian. And I owe my allegiance to God Almighty. He said, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. Beloved, I don't think you can find a more arrogant class of people on the footstool of God today than those people that inhabit the halls of government. Arrogance and forgetting God and a lack of humility has always been a sign and a recipe for disaster. You remember Nebuchadnezzar of old? He walked into the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built by the power of my might and by my majesty? He was arrogant before God. He forgot about God that had caused it all to happen. He was arrogant before God. He was proud before God. He was haughty in the presence of God. And it tells us that he was driven to the field. And his hair was grown like eagle feathers. And his nails were like bird claws. Over in the 18th division of the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus tells us a story there about two men that went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other one was a publican. Publicans were the lowest of the low. They had sold out. They were considered traitors. This Pharisee, he stood and he prayed. He lifted his eyes toward heaven. He said, O God, I I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are, unjust, extortioners, adulterers. God, I, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And he's just about, as we would say, about to break his arm, patting himself on the back. And he's telling God what a wonderful man he is. And he's telling God how lucky he is. How lucky God he is that he's got a servant like him. The publican, it says, stood afar off. He would not lift his eyes toward heaven. He smote his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the publican went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. 
He said, Everyone that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He that exalteth himself shall be humbled. God said, If my people call by my name will humble themselves and pray. That's one of the things that Jesus taught us to do. That's one of the things that Jesus taught His disciples to do. Those disciples saw Jesus heal the sick. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus take a five loaves and two fish and feed thousands of people. They saw Him turn water into wine. They saw Him make the deaf hear and the blind see. They saw Him do all those things. But not one time do we see the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. We don't see them come and say, Lord, teach us how to turn water to wine. Lord, teach us how to multiply food. But we do see them as they came and they said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think one of the things we need to spend a lot more time doing is on our knees and on our face in the presence of God. Asking God to heal this diseased, degenerate, debauched land that we live in. I never thought that I would live to see the day that the Supreme Court of the United States of America would say that it is right for two men or two women to be joined in marriage. And it's time for the people of God to pray and to pray like we have never prayed before for God to heal this Because God said, if my people call by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Now listen to it. And turn from their wicked ways. You see, wickedness, forgetting God, those things have always brought disaster. Way back in the early morning of time, it says over in Genesis, the sixth chapter, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented God that He had made man. And that's when God resolved that He was going to destroy the earth with the great flood. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That beautiful song that Rodney sang, Amazing Grace. 
Jack got up to pray and said, that's a beautiful song. Noah found that in the eyes of the Lord. And God told Noah to build an ark to save himself and his family. And Noah preached for 120 years. And it came time for it to flood. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, went into the ark and they were saved from the flood. And that repopulated the human race after that. They were wicked. And God destroyed the earth. Wickedness, forgetting God, it's an invitation for disaster. It wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after God destroyed the earth with the flood that we find Abraham. And Abraham was the one that God had promised that he would make a great nation out of. Abraham had a nephew by the name of Lot. And a strife arose between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle. And Abraham said, Lot, if you go to the left hand, I'll go to the right hand. And if you go to the right hand, I'll go to the left hand. And it says that Lot chose the well-watered plains. And it tells us that Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Sodom was a wicked nation. It was a city filled with wicked people. And God resolved that because of the wickedness of the city of Sodom, that God was going to destroy the city. And Abraham went to plead on Lot's behalf and on the city's behalf. He said, if I can find 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city? God said, I'll spare the city for 50 righteous souls. Well, he couldn't find 50, so he goes to 40 and to 30 and to 20 and down to 10. And finally, they can't even find 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom. And God is going to destroy the city of Sodom. And you know, if you look over at the story in the 19th division of the book of Genesis, it tells us that two angels came to the city of Sodom. They came, messengers of God, they came, these men came, and they went to Lot's house. And the men of Sodom surrounded Lot's house and demanded that those men be brought out. said, those strangers, Lot... Bring them out so we may know them. And when the men of Sodom said they wanted to know them, that didn't mean they wanted to have coffee and donuts with them, folks. It meant they wanted to know those men in a biblical sense. In the same way that it says Adam knew Eve. And Lot pleaded with them. And the men of Sodom, they said, Who are you? You came to sojourn with us and you think you're going to be in charge of things? And they were going to, they, they told Lot that we're going to do worse to you than we would have done to them. And they drug Lot back into the house and they closed the door. And the men outside were smitten blind by the messengers of God. And Lot, his wife and daughters, escaped from Sodom. 
and God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And I love the expression Ruth Graham said one time, if God doesn't bring judgment on America, He ought to someday apologize to Sodom. And it hurts me to say that. But I want you, we talked about the book of Leviticus this morning. In Leviticus chapter 18 are various laws set down for God's people. Things that are called abominations. And in Leviticus 18 and verse 22, it says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. I don't know how much plainer it can be than that. That there are those that say, well, you're just old-fashioned. There are those that say, well, you're just old-fashioned. Well, you just don't understand the Bible. I understand the Bible perfectly. And I understand that God's Word is complete. It's authoritative. It has no need of revision. And I understand that Paul said all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God is complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Paul refers to this same concept when he writes the church at Rome in Romans chapter 1. And here's how he addresses that issue there. In the latter part of Romans chapter 1, it says, as we, I'm going to start reading in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Those who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Does that sound familiar? People today who worship the creature, man, more than they do God, the Creator. As people have become more and more obsessed with the idea it's all about them. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For their women changed the natural use into that which is against them, against nature. And the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was me. Paul says it's unseemly. 
The book of Leviticus says it's an abomination. The Supreme Court can call it whatever it wants to. The politicians in Washington, D.C. can call it whatever they want to. They can say whatever they want to about me because I am a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Christian. But it's an abomination. It is unseemly. And there are men today wanting to change the truth of God into a lie. And it's called wickedness. And it's called sin. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I don't know how we're going to change America's wicked ways. But I'm not going to stop trying. And my voice will not be silent until it's silenced by the tomb or by government oppression. And I sometimes wonder which one of those is going to come first. But God says if our nation will turn from its wicked ways, He'll forgive sin and He'll heal our land. What's up to us to do? is to make our voices heard for righteousness. What's up to us to do is to tell our friends and our neighbors not about how we disagree with the Supreme Court ruling, but to tell our friends and neighbors about the love of Jesus Christ who died for sins. We can change the world but we'll change it one person at a time as we bring people to Jesus Christ. It's His invitation as we stand close.